God, we thank you for your word, your word that tells us the good news of salvation. We thank you for your spirit that guides us, comforts us, convicts us, and grows us. God, this morning, would you speak to us through your word? Would you prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us? Please give us ears to hear and hearts that long to know you more and more. Amen. All right. Uh, as I have studied the book of First Peter in the time leading up to us going through this book together as a congregation, uh, one thing that has really stood out to me uh, was said really, really well by a pastor named Paul Tripp. He says that the folks in the book Peter, or in this letter that Peter is writing to, are Christians, but they are experiencing a case of what he calls identity amnesia. So this means that they have forgotten who they are in Christ and have forgotten what they've been given in Christ. And Peter wants to remind them in this letter and then ultimately remind us that we haven't simply been forgiven, but we have been given a completely brand new identity in Christ. And this idea makes this book especially relevant to the culture that we live in. See, all over America, we have churches that are filled with Christians and people who claim to be Christians who have no idea what that truly means. So to combat this problem, Peter in this letter gives us 10 different identity statements, uh, three of which are going to be found in today's passage and several that'll be in the study next week as we continue through. So if you're curious what those are, I'll start them going back uh, to chapter 1. You may re remember that Peter begins his letter by referring to us as elect exiles. And then in today's passage, you'll hear him use the term living stones, spiritual house, and holy priesthood. Then next week, as we continue our study and throughout the book, you'll hear the terms chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession, sojourners, Christians, and then finally, in Christ. So we're going to begin this morning by reading the entire passage. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8, and then we'll kind of go back to the beginning and uh, go through all of that together. Now, if you did take one of those Bibles on the back counter, uh, today's reading is going to be on page 1014 to make it a little bit easier for you. All right. Uh, the text starts in verse 4. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Amen. 
there's a ton here, and we could probably spend about a month just in these verses. Um, but I'm going to try to get moving as quickly as we can so we can cover as much as we can here. But we're going to start with those very beginning words, those first five words, as you come to him. I want to first establish the hymn that we're talking to, and this actually gives John a uh, chance to use his perfect Sunday school answer. The hymn that we're talking about is... There we go. Absolutely. So it's Jesus. That's the answer to 80% of Sunday school questions just for, that's what we're talking about here. So as you come to him, that's how this portion of text starts. And you'll see that those words become incredibly crucial to the rest of the passage. But I want to point out that when Peter says, as you come to him, he isn't necessarily Uh, talking about coming to him for the very first time or being saved, although it can and does include that moment. What he's saying here is not a statement of salvation, but more of a statement about remaining in Christ's presence with intimate fellowship and a very, very close connection with him. When I think about this idea Uh, It reminds me of John chapter 15, probably because my kids are uh, memorizing this one in their Bible class. And Jesus says in verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in there, there's this idea of a closeness an intimate connection and a dependence on Christ, right? And as we looked at last week, this happens only if we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. That's in verse 3 from last week. And once we've trusted in the Lord and we have experienced how gracious He truly is, we should just be compelled to continually seek more of that grace in pursuing Him and learning His Word. And this idea, it also uh, has resonated in my mind when I think of that illustration of the newborn baby craving that pure spiritual milk that was in verse 2. If you think about it, a baby quickly recognizes its life source and craves naturally what it knows is good for them. And uh, perhaps at some point in your life, if you have kids, or maybe you've held a little baby, and you've picked them up, a newborn, and you've cradled them, you notice that they almost immediately start doing that weird kind of motion with their mouth, right? That they're searching for the milk. So that's kind of the, the picture I get in my head. Like, just like a baby, as a Christian, we recognize Christ as our life source, and we establish his word as our ultimate source of truth. So naturally, we should be craving more and more of it, right? We should be continually coming back to him, like the text says. Now at this point in the verse, the text gives us a comma, and it gives us some more detail about the him that we already established as Jesus. The text calls him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
So here, once again, we know that this is Jesus we are talking about. This is the chosen Messiah that you are coming to. This is God's precious and elect son. The one that was prophesied about in Isaiah. The one that was talked about in Psalm 118, which Peter quoted in verses 6 through 8 of what I just read. We establish that Jesus is the living stone. He's the precious stone. He's the one of a sure foundation. The one who is ultimately authenticated through his resurrection from the dead. Hence why he's a living stone. He is alive. And then we go back to verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. And I feel like I'm Grady pausing again so short after just a few words. But we're going to pause there again. So as you come to him, you, like living stones, are being built up. See, we as Christians are so closely identified and connected with Christ that the very life that exists in Christ exists in us also. Um, a very popular verse that many of you probably have uh, memorized, written on your heart, or uh, could almost quote is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, again, we start with the living stone, and then you yourselves are being built up like living stones along with Christ into, as verse 5 says, a spiritual house. Now, if you're reading an NIV translation, I was looking at some of these, and the NIV has a footnote there that says it could also be read as into a temple of the Spirit. And so, this kind of makes sense. You start with the living stone as the cornerstone, and what naturally goes with a cornerstone? Other stones, right? Other living stones. So, what's happening here is that metaphorically, God is building up this spiritual house or temple putting all believers in place, integrating each one with the other, and each one with the life of Christ. I'd like you guys to turn just briefly to Ephesians chapter 2. So be going back a little bit there. Starting in verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built into 
a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, as we come to him, Jesus, continually, we're being built up like living stones as a spiritual house. Why? Well, the second half says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So perhaps you see how each one of these is building on top of each other. And here we get to what Peter has been building to. All of these different steps are leading up that, to establish the fact that you are a holy priesthood. And you can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the, Peter, or the people sorry, who Peter is writing to in this letter, the elect exiles, as he called them, in the area of modern-day Turkey, would have understood some things about Old Testament priests, some things that we should keep in mind also. They would know that priests had elect privilege. That we're told that in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Priests are cleansed from sin. We see that in Leviticus chapter 8, verses 6 through 36. Priests are clothed for service. Exodus chapter 8, chapter 28, verse 42. Priests are anointed for service. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 12. Priests are ordained to obedience. Leviticus chapter 10, starting in verse 1 and then continuing onward. Priests were called to honor God's word. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. They were called to walk with God. Malachi chapter 2, verse 6. They were called to impact sinners. Malachi chapter 2, verse 6 again. And lastly, they were called to be messengers of God. That's Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. So Peter's making the connection here that since you are being built up as a temple of the Lord, where the Spirit resides, into a holy priesthood, you now share in these characteristics. And here's the point in the message that uh, you note-takers get the, your kind of matching application points you've been waiting for if you're familiar with my teaching style. Uh, most of these can be wrapped into what I want to lay out as three A's. So this morning you're going to get three A's for your application points. So as a holy priesthood, one incredibly important thing you have is access. You have access to God. And this is incredibly significant to the folks reading this letter, and this should be incredibly significant to you as well. Let's think about it this way. In the society we live in, while we have access to probably more information than we ever have at any point in history, I think that our access to people is actually kind of going away. And while trying to think of an illustration uh, for this, um, I couldn't have one, and then naturally God just kind of drops one in my lap. And so here it goes. Um, as many of you guys know that uh, for my day job, I'm an elementary school teacher. And as an elementary school teacher, we have to maintain what's called a fingerprint clearance card. 
And uh, this card has to be renewed every few years. And the term is long enough that it's not like super annoying that you're renewing every single year, but it is long enough that whenever it comes time to renew, I lose my card. And so naturally this week, I'm on the website trying to renew because mine expires next month. And I get almost to the very end of the process and I get a message that says, your information doesn't match our records. If the problem persists, contact DPS. So I check the information I have and try it about 10 more times just to make sure it wasn't my error. And of course, it doesn't work. So I follow their instructions. I click the contact DPS button. So I'm eager, this is it, this is my access to some help. But it turns out that doesn't give you access to a human or any help. Um, it's an auto-generated FAQ page that basically just told me everything I've tried for the last half hour. Then I find on their website their chat with us feature, you know that little box in the corner that you can click on? So there it is, there's my help. So I type in my question, Guess what happens? No human. It's some sort of artificial intelligence that just gives me a weird list of things that aren't helpful in any way, shape, or form. And so I rephrase my question, I rephrase my problem over and over, and naturally, of course, it doesn't work. And finally, as I start to get frustrated, I do what uh, the first step you guys would do. I type in, give me a human. And of course, it brings up some other type of list that's certainly not helpful. Um, I'm frustrated. I've spent about an hour on this so far. So um, maybe you wouldn't get to this point, but I did. So I go to the chat box and I type in human, 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 human about 50 more times, <laughs> thinking that that would get me somewhere. And of course, it did not at all. So. I ditch that idea, I start scouring their website, and I find the phone number. Here we go, now I can contact DPS, I get access to help. So I dial it, and guess what happened? It's an automated phone system with no human whatsoever. So at that point, I gave up. See, while we have access to tons of information, we're having really very little access to people or any sort of real help. And in my example, the access I'm talking about um, isn't to anyone or anything special, right? It's not even close to the comparison of having access to the holy God, which for many, many years was a privilege only reserved for priests. But as we continually come to Jesus and cling to him as the cornerstone— we're being built into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. We have access to God. A God who knows us and doesn't just know us, loves us, cares for us, and desires fellowship with us. Through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit living in us, we now have far more access to God than we do really to anyone else, and certainly DPS in my case.
So how much does he know you? Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So as a holy priesthood, you have access to God. No need for a human priest or a human mediator to act on your behalf. You have access to God through your connection and your life in Christ. And this leads us to our second A. Remember, the first was access. Your next A is authority. And I want to start by making it clear that this authority is not your own, but as the text says, through Christ. As a holy priesthood, you now have the authority to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So since you have the access, you now have the authority. So some of you guys might be asking, what are spiritual sacrifices? I think all of us have that idea of a sacrifice, like in the case of sacrificing an animal. In fact, you, uh, there was some of that, those words in our scripture reading this morning. But what is a spiritual sacrifice? We'll go ahead and define it. Spiritual sacrifices are God-honoring works done because of Christ, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the guidance of the Word of God. So that's kind of a big definition, and I did see some people writing it down, so I'll read it one more time. Spiritual sacrifices are God-honoring works done because of Christ, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the guidance of the Word of God. So let's look in Scripture at some examples of what we could consider some spiritual sacrifices. Could be offering the strength of our bodies to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It could be praising God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through him, then let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It could be doing good. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 starts with, Do not neglect to do good. It could be sharing your resources. That same verse continues. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It could be bringing people to Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 16 says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, 
so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It could be sacrificing your desires for the good of others. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And finally, it's prayer. Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So as a holy priest, we have access to God no need for a mediator other than Christ. We have authority through Christ to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Those are sacrifices with our body, our praise, our works, our resources, our evangelistic efforts, our love, and our prayers. And then this leads us to our last A. As a holy priesthood, along with the access to God and authority through Christ, we also have ability. Your third A is ability. We have the ability to abide and do the things expected of us as a follower of Christ. Now, I remember hearing an interview uh, that was done with Pastor John MacArthur a few years back, and I forget the exact line of questioning, but one thing that stood out is that he said that as he has gotten older and grown up and in maturity and faith and age, that when different de- uh, decisions or situations are put in front of him, he naturally now has to think less and less about how to react to them. Because being obedient to Christ and serving him and knowing his word has been the focus of his life, his natural responses now are more and more naturally in line with Scripture. So as we continually come to Christ and we are becoming conformed to his image, we are more and more apt and able to do Christ-like things. Now, let's be very clear. It doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore or that we can not be on guard against sin. It simply means that as we grow in faith, we become less like the world and more like Christ. Now, I could take us all over Scripture and kind of pick out these items, that uh, these Christ-like things that I'm talking about, Uh, For example, you might think of Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good one. Or Micah chapter 6 verse 8, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Those are all very true and appropriate. But I think just in 1 Peter, where we've been studying so far, in chapter 1 and these few verses in chapter 2, There's a ton of us, a ton there that we can look at. So as a holy priesthood, you have the ability to, and we'll start back all the way in chapter 1, verse 6. It says we have the ability to rejoice in trials. 
Chapter 1, verse 13 says we have minds prepared for action. That same verse 13 says be sober-minded. Verse 13 also says we can set our hope fully on grace. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says we can be obedient children. Verse 15 says we can be holy. Verse 22 says we can love one another from a pure heart. For those of us who were here last week, we can stop it, which means we can put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. That's chapter 2, verse 1. And finally, from today's verse, verse 4, we can come to him. See, none of these things are natural to us. We have the ability to do none of it on our own. We have to acknowledge that this ability or even this aptitude, it comes from one place. It's the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. If you are, not, if you are one of God's chosen ones, why would you not be continually coming to him? Have you forgotten about all of these precious gifts that you've been given as a believer? Now, I could end right at that point, but I certainly have to acknowledge that there might be some people in this room who are thinking introspectively and might have heard all of this and realize that they've never started coming to him. And therefore, everything I've talked about this morning none of it applies to your life. No access, no authority, no ability. Simply an emptiness that's just more hopeless than an earthly, non-living stone. A stone that's going to wither away, it's going to cease to exist and eventually just return to dust. In fact, your fate is far worse than that if you are an unbeliever. But if God is softening your heart this morning, you can come to him for the very first time. See, here at Maricopa Springs, we seek to help people meet and follow Jesus. And you have that opportunity this morning. Uh, we don't make this big giant spectacle out of it here, but um, if God's leading you this way, here's how you do it. Uh, we teach a, a, a discipleship class here called Rooted, and I think they lay it out very beautifully. And so, um, we'll start with another A, but this isn't part of the other, so let's not confuse it. Uh, A means admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Through your thoughts and actions, you are separate from God. You're not able to bridge that gap between you and God through your own efforts. Trying harder is simply not the answer. You need to just acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. Authentically admit this to God and allow him to build that bridge and that relationship with you. Next is a B, so these are like these are the ABCs. There's not 27. Uh, so next is a B, and that B is believe. So we admit 
then we believe. You believe in Jesus and what he has done. And to believe in Jesus is to believe in what the Bible says about him and what he says about himself. Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. He died on the cross as a sacrifice to make payment for your sins and then rose from the dead, conquering death for all who believe in him. And then finally, C. C is commit to follow Jesus. We admit we're sinners, we believe in Jesus, and now we commit to follow him. And it's certainly more than a sentimental prayer. It is being certain that belief in Jesus alone saves you, and then actually living that truth. It means making Jesus your personal friend, your leader, your confidant, your object of worship. In fact, it sounds a lot like the coming to him that we've talked about a ton this morning. Now, that's what it takes to be saved, and, uh, and if you are making that decision in your heart and you are coming to him for the very first time, Hallelujah. Um, after service, I just ask that you'd come up and talk to either myself or one of our other elders, and we would just be honored to celebrate with you and pray, pray for you if you made that decision this morning. And then for the rest of us, I'll ask, are we living each day continually coming to him as living stones that are being built into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood? with those perks, privileges, benefits, whatever you want to call them, of being in association with Christ, access to God, the authority through Christ to offer spiritual sacrifices, the ability to be obedient. God is faithful. He's so trustworthy. Let's never forget who we are in Him through His amazing grace. Would you guys pray with me? God, we are in awe of who you are and what you've done. You know the depth of our need and the depth of our sin, yet you offer grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. We acknowledge that we deserve none of this, but we praise you for this blessed hope that you have given us. We trust in your word. We rest in your promise, and we rejoice knowing that you are the God who saves. Amen.